Today's sermon scripture text is the Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death, jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. This is the word of the Lord. If you haven't yet, go ahead and turn to the Song of Solomon. Right, right before Isaiah. As you're doing that, we'll go ahead and pray. Heavenly, gracious Father, we know that you have given us so many, so many good things in your creation. You have declared again and again and again that it is good, it is good, it is good. And it's not good by our own will or because we have attained it or we have made it, God. But it is good because it is of your creation. And it is inherently good because it comes from you. And we know that it is good because you have said so. So God, as we come and look at marriage and all the beauty and entrappings that come along with it, Father, we ask that you would let us know of your will for marriage that we might rightly and truly display all of your glory. Amen. Well, as you know, a a couple weeks ago, we were going through the book of Job, and God used uh, some various things to prepare our family for the book of Job. We had a kid who did his second concussion in two weeks. He's still wearing his rugby helmet as he goes around. And we... uh, Bring him back. He's get his, he begins to remember his name once more, which he had lost for a while. And then you go home and you have a child with a fever of 106 when you go home. And then on top of that, there's another child who is already sleeping, but she's sleeping because she screamed herself to bed. And then my beloved bride comes and says, no more Job. This is enough. No more Job. But then... I had to warn her. We made it through the book of Job, but get ready, because the Song of Solomon is next. And admittedly, one's mind will, as you read the text over and over and over again throughout the week, one's mind might tend to wander a little bit as you contemplate your own, your own bride. But let's be honest... With families thriving here and, and newlywed couples and empty nesters and families here with one and two and three and four and five and six and seven children. If ever there was a church that didn't need a sermon from the Song of Solomon, it's probably our church. <laughs> All God's people said amen. But if ever there was a culture that needed a message from the Solomon of Solomon, if ever there was a culture that needed this message proclaimed to it, it is certainly ours. 
Marriage is often seen as this hindrance to my selfish joy. What I want to attain, well, marriage is going to be in it. It's holding me back from what I want to accomplish. So rather than being committed, I'm just going to swipe right, hook up with somebody after my shift. And we know the arrangement. I'm going to use them in the same way that they use me. But as long as we're fine with this horrific arrangement, everything's good. And all of this is because we have taken this utilitarian approach to marriage and have completely separated out the spiritual aspect. So then how do we look at marriage? Well, we look at marriage in terms of tax breaks. Oh, I get a greater tax deduction. Or society will look at a marriage and say, if it's good or bad, because of how it might benefit the society that it's in. Well, divorce is bad because we have to spend more on welfare. So therefore, marriage is good, is what society would tell us. But rather here, as we come to the Word of God, what we're going to see is that marriage is the best place for all of your hedonistic desires and God's glory. Marriage is the best place for all of your hedonistic desires, you know what I'm talking about, and God's glory. So Miles Van Pelt is a theologian He has, I think, the best uh, homiletical outline. He says, keep your marriage rock solid and keep your marriage white hot. So that's what we're going to be looking at. I want you to leave here knowing, to invest in your marriage, knowing. If you want to be selfish, if you want to be hedonistic, love your spouse. Take care of him. Take care of her. Do this by keeping your marriage rock solid and keeping it white hot. So let's go back to the text here in verse 6. Chapter 8. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire and the very flame of the Lord. Verse 7. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If man had offered for love, all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. And to be honest, as I began studying this this week and wrestling through it, I kind of had to go, why is this book even in the Bible? Really, when you, when you think of the whole storyline of, of what's happening from Genesis to Revelation, here in begin, beginning of Genesis, you have God and His creation. And then you have the Exodus and, the, and all of these major amazing prophets calling people, God's people, back to faithfulness. And then Christ comes and you have the cradle and the cross and the crown. And the crucifixion and Christ going into the ground for three days and being raised from the dead. And then going into home into glory and the, this amazing gospel then going throughout all of the world. And then in Revelation we see the consummation of all things when God's people will again be raised up to be with God. Just as Christ has ascended back to the Father. And I, I look at all of this and I wonder, why a book on marriage? Why a book on marriage? I realize I think too little about it. I think too lightly about marriage as opposed to God. When I think of great doctrines of the faith, I think of Athanasius telling Arius, no, you are a heretic. 
There was not a time when Christ did not exist. He is the eternally begotten Son of the, our Lord, of our God, of our Father. Or you think of uh, Augustine on the Trinity or Luther saying justification is by, um, or salvation is by justification. Well, hold on here. Justification is by faith alone. Or you think of Calvin and his inordinate focus on the sovereignty of God or Knox preaching that the kingdom of God is preeminent against all other kingdoms and against all other tyrannical rulers that there might be. And you think of all of these great doctrines and they get their own chapters as you're studying systematic theology. But marriage, marriage is not there in systematic theology. It gets it, not its own chapter, it gets its own book as we study through scripture. So it's quite obvious then I began to realize I think too lightly of marriage and what's happening. And I haven't placed my own detriment, I haven't placed a focus on it the way that God has throughout Scripture. One of the main reasons I've missed it is because I've taken and separated out, just as you, you grow up in these, spiritual, in these cultural waters, I've taken and separated out the spiritual aspect of it all. And so what you have throughout the Old Testament is we have these prophets crying out against the idolatry of the people. And I would contend that this needs to be focused on because marriage is a hotbed of idolatry. Because it is the place where the physical and the spiritual begin to come together. So idolatry wasn't disastrous because it tried to wed the physical and the spiritual as they would go up on these high places. It wasn't disastrous because they wed together this physical and the spiritual. It was disastrous and it was horrific because they did it apart from the way that God had prescribed it to happen. So rather than going to the temple for sacrifices where God said, I will come down to earth and I will dwell with my people there. And there is where you can have the blending of the physical and the spiritual. They would go and they would do it their own way. So they would have this spiritual union with the physical and they would have it on their own terms. And so when you look at this and think of it in terms of marriage, marriage is ripe for idolatry as you again begin to wed the physical and the spiritual. And so wives will oftentimes look at to their husband as though he's going to be their savior. They idolize him. And of course, he's not. You married a wretched sinner. And so when you begin to idolize him and think that he is going to be your savior, he disappoints you and then you become bitter at him because you've made an idol out of him. Again, this wedding of the physical and the spiritual. Or the husband will look to his wife and say, you are going to be the means by which all of my desires are gratified. And that doesn't happen. And you knew, again, his wife has to watch out against bitterness, so the husband also has to watch out against his bitterness, not because that they are doing wrong, because you have wrong expectations, because you've allowed idolatry to come into your marriage, where we have this blending together of the physical and the spiritual. So... What we have with marriage is not what the culture will say. It's not just cohabitation. 
It's not anything like that. It's where the one has become two and then the two become one, one flesh, and they become one in the Lord. And this union of these two flesh and coming together and coming together in the Lord is why it's so horrific then to have this sin or to go outside of the bounds of marriage. From marriages are to be reflecting Christ in the church, as Paul says in Ephesians 5. He says, this is a very profound mystery, but I say it applies to Christ in the church. This is why we need books like the Song of Solomon. To call us to delight within the purity of marriage. So when we think of Christ in his church, when we sin against our bride, against our spouse, or against our husband, lives, when you go outside of marriage, you're not just cheating on your husband. You're not just sinning on your husband. What you're actually declaring is that there are multiple messiahs. There are multiple Christ. There are multiple ways to be redeemed back to the Father, which is inherently a lie. Husbands, when you go outside of marriage, you're not just sinning against your wife, which is horrific. What you are declaring to the world and to all the cosmos is that there are multiple brides of Christ. That He is not faithful to any one of them, but He will pick and choose as He desires. And inherently then, you don't know if you're safe in the arms of God or not. So we come to it again. That marriage, marriage alone is the best place for all of your hedonistic desires and God's glory. So when you come into, come into our verses here, we realize the Song of Solomon is it's wisdom literature. So how do we read wisdom literature? What do you do? You read through it, you get to the end, and then you find out what's really happening here. Like Ecclesiastes, you read through all the way to the end, and you go, oh, that's what's happening. You read through Job, you get all the way to the end, and you go, oh, this is where it's going. Okay, and then you go back to the beginning, and then you read through it again. So when we're doing this, why we pulled the verses from the, from the last chapter here, to, that's kind of the template of what's going on throughout the whole book. So these are the, the key verses that are spoken to by the, by the bride. So knowing this, we're going to just do a brief overview, just for a couple of minutes, of what's happening with the book here. In the beginning of the book, we see this neglected woman. She's a, a Shulamite. Her, her brothers think little of her. She's sent out in the fields to work, not into palaces. And she's attracted to Solomon, and she begins asking him, Where do you shepherd your sheep? It's not a euphemism. Not yet. Where do you, literally, where do you shepherd your sheep? And then she goes, and she goes and follows him. And they begin courting, and it's quite obvious that the passion is there, but they are mindful, are they not, to catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyard, for our vineyards are in bloom. So they're in the midst of courting, but they realize, as we should all realize, not to let this cunning fox steal all of the fruit before it ripens. He has no care about the actual fruit and how it's doing, or the vine or the branches, but he only cares about his own appetite. So if you want your marriage to be stable, 
if you want marriage to be rock solid, if you want it to be white hot, well, even before your marriage, take care of yourself. You don't want a bride who thinks, ah, I was vulnerable to him and he took advantage of me. Or you don't want a husband who's thinking, yeah, I wasn't the best, but I thought I was marrying a lady of virtue. Apparently I'm not. Take care of your vineyard and catch the foxes that come in. Then here in the latter portion, starting in verse 6 of chapter 3, you see the wedding day. And Solomon is coming in. What is this that's coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke perfumed with myrrh and frankincense? And King Solomon, in verse 9, has made himself a, uh, a sedan chair from the timber of Lebanon. And he comes in and then they have this glorious on this day of his wedding, on the day of his gladness and heart. And then at the beginning, end of four, end of three, they're getting married now. We've had the procession and then now they're married. And then in chapter four, you can imagine what's happening the end of chapter 4, have may my beloved come into his garden and eat of its choicest fruits. This progression through courtship and now marriage. And then now they, chapter 5, what are they doing? Where there's newlyweds, there's chaos. He's left. She can't find him. She's good looking for him. She gets beaten and everything is, is falling apart. But then they are brought back together to admire one another, to enjoy to, uh, one another. And then here and finally in chapter 8, we come to our concluding remarks and beginning in verse 6. So through their experiences, through their wisdom, what are we to learn here from the Word of God? Well, let's look at verse 6. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy as fierce as the grave. It flashes, its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Here's a bride of Solomon, this Shulamite woman, and she wants to be on his heart and on his arm. So Solomon's seal is how he is known. So inherently what she's saying is that I want us to be intertwined. I want to be your seal. I want to be the way people know you. I want our identities to be the same. I want people to know you through me, and I want to be known through you. So then, you, that's the beginning of verse 6. So, so then, what's the reason that they all want to be intertwined? Well, look at the word for. For love is strong as death. Well, it's because of the nature of love. Why do you want to have this identity that's drawn together, that's inseparable? Even though you might physically be apart. That is inherently inseparable. Why? Well, because of the strength of love. It's irresistible. So they, they akin it to death. This irresistible force that comes upon you and can't be pushed aside. She's saying, I want that power. My the love for you is so great. Nothing can push it aside. Nothing can resist it. She will not rest until her love has come upon him. And she has him completely under her power. Commentator Kyle writes, uh, an old German guy. She kills him as it were in regard to everything else that is not the object of his love. 
he is dead to everything else except for her. Because of the nature of love. It is all consuming. So, if you want a marriage that is rock solid and white hot, stay pure. Catch the foxes. Before marriage, during marriage. Also, be jealous for one another. Inordinately jealous for one another. As God is jealous for His people, as He is consuming fire for His people. Husbands, wives, be like that for your bride, for your husband. Work on them and subdue them with all of your love until you have them under your grasp. And this isn't done through constant reminders or, or nagging. This isn't done it's just by the angry and saying things under your mouth, you know, under, under your breath and hoping that nobody actually hears it as you walk away. This is only done through the fierce and jealous love that conquers your mate. For this is the power of love, as the text goes on. Its flashes are flashes of fire here. And it, you have this Hebrew repetition. Not, not, uh, not, not the strongest of strong in Hebrew grammar, but this is heightening up. This is not just a fire. Oh, no, no. It's not a fire that's flaming and then, then will go out. No, its flashes are flashes of fire going out. It, it, it can't be contained. It's so strong. It's going out and it's going out. And there's nothing else that is outside of this love that is able to subdue your mate but you and to draw them in. But this doesn't simply happen because you're married and you've put it in neutral and you think you can coast. Verse 7. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can floods drown it. So when you have a love like this, that is pure because you're catching the foxes, that is jealous for one another, that has its identity intertwined with one another because you know that you are jealous for your mate and you don't want anybody else to have them because you will conquer them with a force that can't be pushed aside. Well, then this love is a flame that waters itself cannot put out. The waters can come. The trials of life can come. They can rain on you. They can flood you. They can sweep it away. But this flame will not be put out whatsoever. So men, this is where I want to encourage you. If you want a rock-solid marriage, provide a context for your wife in which she is able to thrive. If need be, bring the hedges in. So she doesn't do too much. But provide a context for your bride with a jealous, fierce love that she will thrive. She will thrive physically. She will thrive spiritually. She will thrive sexually as well. And we also want to see our marriage is not only rock solid, but we want to see them white hot as well. And again, well, this book leaves... Very little to the imagination. There's much you can read. We just read one of the verses again. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. 
Blow upon my garden, let its spices flow. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choices fruit. Keep your marriages hot, white hot. Hot enough that these waters cannot put it out. There are marriages that are now a ash heap that once burned white hot. So what you need is that you need both. You need stability and you need a rock solid marriage and then you need it also to be white hot. What you can think of this is it's like a stove. You got your wood burning stove, your metal wood burning stove. And you need the strength of this stove, the stability of the marriage to allow this flame to grow white hot. And what the world is going to tempt you to do Let's say, you don't need the strength of this marriage. You don't need it at all. Just take the flame out and let burn over there and burn over there and then enjoy yourself over here and then enjoy yourself over there. But what happens to the flame when you take it outside of the, of the furnace? It goes out. And the wine that was once sweet off, becomes bitter awfully, awfully quick. Christian circles, we're encouraged. Yeah, keep the flame in the fire, but close the dampers by all means. Let's close the dampers. And this white hot flame slowly, slowly, slowly dies out. And there was once passionate fire, now there's just charred logs. And that's also the cultural expectation. So, as I encourage men, Keep your marriages strong. Provide a context in which your wife can thrive physically, spiritually, sexually. Encourage men, women, do your part to keep this marriage white hot. If you read through this book, I guess it is. You read through this book, you see she's not a passive recipient, she's active. She's incredibly active in all of this that is transpiring. Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. But you see, all of this is not an end in and of itself, but it's pointing to something else. And we see all of this is pointing to Christ. Now, admittedly, when you read through the book and, and then you think of Christ right afterwards, you kind of go, you know, it makes you sick a little bit. But think of it, think of it in this way. Marriage is the place where all of your overflowing hedonistic desires are fulfilled as you serve and are served. It, marriage is the place of greatest intimacy. Where you are fully exposed, and you are fully known, and you are both fully loved. This can only happen. This can only be true in Christ. So you see that marriage is not an end unto itself, but it's not even internal. But rather, it's pointing to something and someone who is. So we're just going to pause here, a little brief note. 
young girls and young boys, keep yourselves pure. Don't tarnish the name of Christ because of your own desires. And adorn yourself with godliness. The world is going to come and tell you that you must be adorned with beauty or you must be adorned with degrees. But adorn yourself with godliness. And to the unwed, to the unwed, don't idolize the shadow, but embrace the one to whom it points. This is, as you go through the book of of Hebrews, this is the whole folly in the book of Hebrews. Is that they have Christ and they keep going back. They want sacrifices. No, we want circumcision. No, we want these feasts and these festivals. And they're turning away from the one whom they have, Christ, to embrace the shadow that is pointing to Him. So in your loneliness, tell Christ that you know He is enough. Tell Him that you know He is enough rather than mourning this loss of time that you want in the shadow that is pointing to the real thing when you have the real thing. So what's what's really happening here then in all of this text here? So redemption, we love to look close, look at some of the grammar, what's actually happening in these verses, but then to also to understand a, a concept or an idea, take a step back. And look, from Genesis to Revelation, what's really happening here? So if you want to understand how to read the Bible, read Genesis 1 through 3 over and over and over and over and over. Memorize them, know them. And then you will understand what's happening in the rest of the Bible. So as we've mentioned before, creation is this glorious institution in which we have one flesh that God has created. And out of this comes two flesh. And in marriage, they are brought back together. Well, right before this creation of Adam and Eve, right before that, what do you have? You have this invisible God and you have the visible coming out of the invisible. And just as Adam and Eve, the two are brought together, one through marriage, so this invisible God... And this visible creation are again also brought back together through marriage. This is what creation is longing for. This is why you, again, why you see idolatry everywhere. It's because we know we, there's supposed to be some blending, some bringing back together of the physical and the spiritual. We see those who have all spiritual and no physical. We think they're crazy. Or if they have all physical, no spiritual, we see them as shallow. Innately, we know the physical and the spiritual are supposed to be wed together, that they're supposed to be brought back together. So how is this going to happen? All of creation is longing to be wed back to its creator. How is it that this holy and just, loving and perfect glorious God is going to be wed with now His tarnished bride. How is that going to be? 
How is it that we are going to have this union, Adam and Eve, the one becoming two and now the two becoming one? How is this going to happen? What's well, through a marriage, of course? Go to Revelation chapter 19. John writes, Then I hear what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of many peals of thunder, crying out. God's people here, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these words are the true words of God. So brothers and sisters, yes, marriage is exotically exhilarating. But it's nothing compared to that moment. When this true bride, physical creation, the the people of God, are once again wed together with this invisible God. In all of your marriage, honor this to whom it points. Honor this to whom it points. So how do we do this? Two things, very briefly. What do you do? Foster the spiritual. Foster the spiritual and feed the physical. Foster the spiritual. Okay, so now you see that the marriage is not just this common law. It's not a, something to get a good, a good tax deduction or anything like that. It's, it's again, this, this foreshadow. It's this beginning of this wedding together, the physical and the spiritual. So what do you do? Well, don't neglect the spiritual, obviously. Feed it. Husbands, pray with your wives. Wash your wives in the Word. Read the Word of God to them. Pray with your families. Do family worship together. Adorn your wives with godliness. Husbands, adorn your wives with godliness to prepare them for their true wedding day. You're her husband temporarily. And it is your job to prepare her for her true wedding day when she will be wed to Christ forever. All right. Finally, we feed the physical here as well. When you're married, your body is not yours. It's not. It's not yours to withhold, but rather it is yours to give. Your body is not your own. Think of what you are saying. How are you communicating with Christ and His church when you begin to withhold Husbands or wives. Has God withheld anything from us? Absolutely not. He has given us His only begotten Son. He has given us all of creation to enjoy and subdue. He has given us brothers and sisters to have fellowship with, to encourage us. No, God has not withheld anything from us. All of the riches of the glorious grace of the, in heaven is now ours in Christ. We have redemption through Christ. We have now have the seal of the Holy Spirit. Upon us, God has not withheld anything from us. 
Why would you malign the name of God by withholding yourself from your spouse? Rather, your body is the fertile soil in which you can bring forth this glorious fruit of God. So as you know, our Heavenly Father has not withheld anything from us, but He has given us His only begotten Son. Jesus Christ, on the night He was betrayed, He was in the upper room with His disciples. And they were celebrating the Passover. And He held the bread before them and He said, This is My body which is broken for you. In the same way, Afterwards, he took the cup and he held it before them. He is not withholding anything from himself. He took the cup and he held it before them and he said, This is my blood for the new covenant. So Redemption City Church, as we begin to contemplate all that God has given us through marriage, never lose sight to what, to what it is pointing to. Fulfill your hedonistic desires for God's glory. Keep your marriages hot. And keep your marriages strong. I'm going to go ahead and pray. The worship team is going to lead this song. During this next song, go ahead and come on up. If you're a believer, if you trust in Christ, if you've been baptized, go ahead and come and partake of this meal, which is again the wedding together of the physical and the spiritual that we might behold and partake in once again in the goodness of God. So let me pray and during this next song. Come on up. Get the elements. Go back to your seat. Hold them and then we'll take them together after this song. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we long to be known by You. To have our identity intertwined with You. To not be separated at all. But we thank you that you have set your seal upon our hearts. We will not be lost. But God, you will keep us. And you will keep us to the end, God. Be with our marriages. Prepare us for marriage. Either in this world or when we see your son face to face, God. And keep our marriages strong and keep them hot for your glory and your glory alone. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen.